How are you guys doing this morning? Yeah. It's a lot. It's good to see all of you guys. I'm as friends and family here, so I'm so thankful that you're in the room. And my name is Bernie Schreier, and my wife Stephanie and I we've been leading kid life here at Cabot for the last 11 years. And um, I just got to say, I'm so thankful. Um, I don't consider standing up here just something that should happen. It is a place of honor, and I thank Pastor James for turning over the the podium this morning, and I just want to tell you that um, James and Cody, their family, I love them so much, and the biggest thing that I could say, the most important thing that I could tell you is that they're my friends, and the same people that you get to see on Sundays um, around our church, they're the same people that I get to live life with Monday through Saturday. They live an authentic Christian life, and they lead from a place of moral authority, and so I'm so thankful. Would you give it up for our, our pastors, our campus pastors? Thank you, guys. So this morning, uh, also my, the staff, you know, I call it my staff because, let's be honest, I kind of help them stay on track. They're like brothers and sisters. And if you have brothers and sisters, you know what I mean. Um, I love them dearly. Um, but there's just a few of us, and they, I love doing life with them as well, and I love doing life with all of you. So thank you guys for being such an amazing place. So right now, I, I got to ask for a little bit of grace because, like I said, for 11 years, I've been teaching kids, right? And I'm not nervous up here at all. I'm completely at ease because, honestly, they're a way harder audience than you guys are. Like, you're going to yell back at me a lot less than they do. You're going to say way less inappropriate things during the message. And so I'm not nervous at all, but I do have to ask for some grace. If I start to make silly faces or fart noises, just know that it's just my roots, and I'm just going back there, okay? So um, just give me some grace in that. Um, a couple of Labor Days ago, I was minding my own business, and a lady decided to pull out in front of me while I was on my motorcycle. And I slammed into the side of her Nissan Altima at 45 miles an hour. Um, Steph was out of town. She was actually in Florida with our oldest daughter, um, preparing uh, for marriage. She was getting, they were doing wedding prep. My sons were both off at college. I was just going to get some dinner. Um, I was going to go. I already knew because, you know, when you have the house to yourself and you get to pick where you want to eat, Without a lot of discussion, that's a good day. This is like just me and a little bit of DQ and some Netflix with all the action movies I could watch, right? So it was going to be a good night. I broke my, um, my shoulder blade, three ribs, had some road rash, but I did walk out of the ER at 5 a.m. the next morning without having to spend the night. In a, in a hospital room, so I feel like I'm pretty tough. Like, that's like an Iron Man move. When you hit a car at 45 and you don't have to spend other than the ER stay in the hospital, that's a pretty good day. But I want to let you know, all that being said, that wasn't my agenda for the day. I didn't wake up and go, man, I just hope I get hit by a car today. I just wanted to go home to an empty house, watch some movies. But listen, sometimes that's what our plans look like. We just get blindsided. The truth is this, we all know what it's like to have our plans crash. Our plans crash when a doctor gives you a bad report. Our plans crash when your job tells you they're downsizing and you're let go. Our plans crash when your good kid gets in trouble out of nowhere 
Our plans crash when you trip up and fall into sin again. We all know what this is like. An unexpected crash can feel like failure, but it's only failure if we give up. In my experience, here's the thing. Crashing is unavoidable. In this world, Jesus promised we're going to have trouble. But ultimately, there are three things the Lord wants us to remember when we hit those moments, when we hit those times where we get blindsided, when we get our feet taken out from under us. And this is the three things I want you to remember today. The first thing is God knows me. The second is God loves me. And the third thing is God leads me. So I want you guys to repeat this. I'm a kid life pastor. We do a lot of repetition because that's how kids learn and it's how you're gonna learn today too. So you're welcome. So repeat after me. God knows me. God loves me. God leads me. Good job. One of my main goals in life has always been to never quit. I don't know if it started when I was in the military or before that, but I just don't like to give up. I like to keep going. I don't want to lose my life to bad habits, so I don't stop trying to quit the good ones that I've established. I don't want to see my kids be lost to the absolute depravity of a stupid world right now, so I continue to parent them even though they're grown. It's not always easy, but I'm not quitting there. And I don't want to retire and be broke in five years, so I continue to work hard. Is that easy? No way. Do I ace it? No, I fail all the time. And you can ask Miss Stephanie for a list, but she's a really good Christian and love keeps no record of wrongs. So good luck with that. Falling is inevitable. It's inevitable. But getting back up is essential. In those moments when our plans go sideways, that's when we learn what mercy really looks like. That's what we learn what God's mercy really looks like. When we're trying to make our way and things go off the rails, that's when God can show up big time in our lives. We have to remember to thank God for his milestones of mercy. King David, who we've been talking about, he lived this way. He failed so many times. Aren't you glad that it's King David that we study and not King whatever your name is? Because we get to see all these times where King David messed up, right? But here's the amazing thing about King David is that every time he failed, he understood this truth. He recognized the mercy. And so it seems like even though King David failed a bunch, when he got back up, he was better than when he failed. Psalms 139 helps us peel back the curtain on David's understanding of God's love for himself and also his relationship with God. He understood God's mercy. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you always have your Bibles with you? I hope you do. In Kid Life, we do Bible checks. It's awesome. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Psalm 139. We're going to look up the entire passage. So you can go turn there. David puts his heart on display, his relationship with God. He describes his intimate personal relationship with God in Psalms 139. And you and I can draw a lot from it. A lot. It's impossible for you to know your heart for God until you understand his heart for you. And that's what David, that's what he does in this passage. It's one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. It's my favorite Psalm for sure. We have to remember that this whole passage, it boils down to three points. God knows me, God loves me, and God leads me. Many theologians believe that Psalm 139 was actually written as David was 
attempting to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to the city of Jerusalem. See, David wanted to celebrate all that God had done in his life. This moment was supposed to be simultaneously worship. It was supposed to be celebration. It was supposed to be establishing Jerusalem as the center. And it was supposed to be honoring. See, David's intent, it wasn't prideful. It was all about, he wanted to honor God by bringing the ark back to where it belonged. And here's the thing, him and his followers, they had been through the ringer, right? Years on the run with Saul chasing them. They lived in the countryside in like caves. The whole time, they were defending people, protecting people from enemies. And then suddenly everything changes. Saul gets killed in battle and David becomes king. It was like the crescendo of David's purpose in life was to be king and it happens. And so he wants to celebrate God. He doesn't want to celebrate himself. He wants to bring the ark right back to the Jerusalem. It's the same ark that we see in the best Indiana Jones movie. It's the same ark that we see Team Moses build that holds the Ten Commandments. For David, it was time to bring the ark home. It's kind of like when Michael Jordan came back to basketball after that short stint trying to play professional baseball. If you know that story, it didn't really work out well for Michael Jordan in baseball. If you know the story of David, this story doesn't work out that great either. See, David had a great idea. He had a great plan, but he failed in the execution part. And as a result, a guy named Uzzah, he dies right in the middle of it. And the people, they're terrified. And David, he's upset. He's upset. David's attempt to bring the the very icon of the presence of God back to Jerusalem, to the place called the city of David, was a complete failure. What was intended as a crowning moment became a catastrophe. David was left with a heart full of good intentions, but experiencing complete and total failure in his life. So, as we read this psalm, we have to know that that's David's mindset. He was shaken by the contrast of his intentions with what actually happened in his expectations. The challenge for us is that we have to remember what David remembered in the midst of that failure. That God knows me, God loves me, and God leads me. So let's look at Psalm 139, starting in verse 1. It says this, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. David made a statement in the first part of the psalm that bookends the psalm. He said in the beginning, God, you searched me. God, you know me. David was surprised by what happened with the ark. He, he was frustrated because he knew in this moment, he knew that God knew his intentions. God knew his heart. And still, it didn't go as planned. The first six verses of this psalm are a realization, a plea from David. He's literally crying out, why God? Have you been there? Have you been there where you just, you question why did this happen? But the realization is beautiful. It's amazing because David acknowledged this truth. The first point is God knows me. God knows me. These days, everyone wants to be known. 
but they don't want to go to the one person who knows them the best, and that's God. They want to be TikTok famous or Instagram influencer or Pinterest queen. People want to be known by the ambivalent crowds. And all the while, there's a loving, caring, incredible Heavenly Father that already fully knows you, that he's accepted you. He wants you. It goes on to say, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. God knows your activity. He knows if you're lazy, if you're male and at work. He also knows if you're a workaholic. And neither of those are a balanced approach. He knows if you cheat on your lunch break. I know you get 30 minutes, but you take 45. He also knows if you cheat on your taxes. He never, he knows if you never stop serving. God knows. He knows your activity. You discern my thoughts from afar, it says. This is humbling and terrifying at the same time. God knows my thoughts. There's some really stupid stuff that goes up and up here. But God knows. Knowing our thoughts has to be like heaven's version of reels. Like, it's like news, and then it switched to sports trivia, and then family matters, and then all of a sudden there's a silly cat video that just pops in. But God discerns what he sees, and he filters what goes through our minds. And he knows what's in your head better than you do. He knows. You search out my path and are acquainted with all my ways. God knows where you've been. He knows where you're going. And God knows why you're going there. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it. God knows what you're going to say. He knows when you're going to say it. But here's what's what's amazing is God knows why you're going to say it. Why you're going to say it. This is my favorite verse from all those passages we're going to read. It says, you hem in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Everything God knows about us, and yet he still, loves and cares enough for us to put his hand upon us. And what I love about this verse is it says that he goes before, right? We know that. But I love the picture of a hem that's in the scripture. Like if you think of a hem of a dress or the hem of a bottom of a pantsuit, when you get those, they're all tattered and torn and and kind of disheveled. But then you take them and you get them hem and they're perfect. Hopefully, if you go to the right tailor. But what's amazing about that is that's what the word describes is what God does to our past. He fixes it if we give it to him. And I just love the picture of that. Do you know what that's called? It's called love. It's called mercy. David understood this. He understood that even though things can go wrong, that God's mercy is new every single morning. David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. It's beyond what we can comprehend. Like, where does that leave us? It should leave us in a place of complete awe of the amazing love that Heavenly Father has on each of us. That God, the God who knows us better than ourselves, that he is there for us no matter what. We hear this phrase a lot today, I see you. I see you, baby, I see you. Everybody wants to be seen because they want some kind of validation in their life. And sometimes that's because of hurt. They don't feel like they've ever been seen by anyone. But other times it's just because they want someone to sign off on their reckless life. Listen, no one knows you like God and he sees you. He doesn't endorse your bad decisions. 
He doesn't cheer on your rebellious heart, but he does know you better than you know yourself. Pride would have you chase the approval of the crowd. And what you have to know is your heavenly father is already proud of you. He loves you so much. He cares about you. He knows you. He loves you. He wants to lead you. Why? It's because of his incredible mercy on our lives and in our lives. Going on to verse 7 through 12, it says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Oh, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be the night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. David is asking some really hard questions in this part. It's kind of poetic language, but there's some questions that we all face as well. Is there a place away from God? Can I outrun or escape his presence? It begs this question. Why would you ever want to? Why would you ever want to be away from the creator of the universe who loves you, knows you, leads you, and cares everything about you? All throughout scripture, the only time we see this happen is when people have a rebellious heart. I automatically think about Adam and Eve. When they sinned in the garden the very first time, they hid. They hid. Jonah, supposed to go to Nineveh, goes to Tarshish. Why? Rebellious heart. David wrestled with these issues just like we do. But we have to know this. God is with me. God is with me. God is always with me. God is always with you. He does not leave us. We don't leave him. We think we can. And I get asked from time to time, hey, why don't I feel close to God right now? Or I feel like God's far away. The reality is he's not. He's not. But what I've noticed is most of the time, it's because part of our heart's been concealed from him. We haven't thoroughly and fully turned over every part of what's inside of us to him. And so it makes us feel distant, but he's right there. So when you're not feeling it, let God shine his mercy into that place of your heart that you haven't released control of. Until you do, you will never experience the full peace that you could have if God had your whole heart. In one of David's darkest moments, he saw this about our heavenly father. He said, even the darkness is not dark to you. I don't know what your darkness is here today. I don't know if you walked in here wandering, struggling, fighting through it, maybe even alone. Maybe your marriage is dark right now. Maybe your finances. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you're experiencing, you were experiencing great joy and now everything is incredibly dark. And it's hard for you to see the other side of that. But this promise is that God's light is already there. That he already has his light shining into that place. Where we struggle, God shines. Verses 13 through 16 say this. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you 
For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful all your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This is one of the most comforting parts of all the scriptures. Because yes, God knows me and God is with me, but also God made me. God made you. Listen, you are a spoken creation from heaven. You were designed with intent in mind, not by accident. You've got heaven-crafted purpose inside of you. From day one of conception, and this is why we believe that every life has value at conception. Everyone. Because all life was created by God and inherently has dignity, value, and worth. And every physical attribute about you that you were given following conception had purpose behind it. That's sometimes hard for us to get our minds around because we see things about ourselves that we don't like. I'm too tall, I don't like my hair color, wish my eyes were different. The comfort that you and I should take is this, that your natural body, God put his seal of approval on it when he made you. Now that doesn't mean we can eat the whole box of Krispy Kreme donuts, but it does mean that we need to steward what God gave us. And the other thing is, is don't let unhappy people sidetrack your peace of mind about how God made you. And don't let worthless ideologies steal your self-worth, your morals, or your integrity to look like someone else. God knows you, God loves you, God leads you. Verses 17 and 18 say, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. This moment in the middle of the psalm is so cool. Think about the progression of David and what he's declared. He says, God, you know me. God, you're with me. God, you made me. David has had this moment where he fully grabbed the reality of how much God cared about him. And it blew his mind. He was in complete awe. He was in complete, utter awe. Because he's thinking, yes, I don't deserve you. But God, you do it anyways. The next point is God astounds me. God astounds me. When you're astounded, it's because you're both shocked and surprised. And this is what David was feeling. Because he understood how God felt about him, how God feels about you. He didn't feel entitled to be, have God's love and grace. He felt surprised by it because David knew his heart. He knew what he had done in the past. Listen, when you really grasp how God feels about you, when you can really understand how much he cares about you, it will shock you, surprise you, and sweeten your life like nothing else. Psalms 139, 19 through 22 say this. There's a little bit of shift here. Get ready. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? 
I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. I wrestled with this a little bit. Because David's like, God, you're amazing. I love you. He's going to break into amazing grace. Kill them all. Sounds like David has a mental breakdown right in the middle of a hymn. But here's what you have to know. David didn't have any malicious intent. It wasn't about that. These three verses weren't David losing mind. It was him being honest. Since the early days of David's life, there was one common thread. Conflict. Conflict. The young boy who was known as the shepherd and a worshiper was thrust into a completely unjust situation. The very man he pledged his life to serve, to look out for, to help, tried to kill him for years. He had enemies everywhere that surrounded him. And finally, he just couldn't take it anymore. This was David's cry. God, defend me. It wasn't about him. It was about God. See, when you and I try to take justice into our own hands, we're gonna fail every single time. And David understood this. Because we're not just. Only the Lord is. But when we turn it over to God and we trust him with it, it's finally in the right hands. We live in the most defensive generation in the history of the world. People get mad about everything. Someone in here is mad because I said we get defensive. So when you feel the need to defend yourself, you need to ask yourself this question. Why do I need to be right? Why do I need to be right? Sometimes God puts you in a place to defend those who can't defend themselves. Being former military, I completely understand that. But sometimes we get defensive because of our pride. If you've been treated unfairly, suffered injustice, been a real victim, here's the thing. Only God can bring justice. Only God can bring you peace. The only lasting solution to our conflict is to be in a place that we put our hands our lives in God's hands, the God who knows us, the God who loves us, and the God who leads us. Finally, we come back around to where we started, verses 23 and 24. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. and See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. After everything David expressed in the psalm, He's so brave here at the end because David asked God to search him. Just search my heart, God. David asked God to test his thoughts. Why? Because David knew God's way was the right way. And he declared in this moment, God, lead me. God, lead me. 13 years ago-ish, I was at the Great Old Little Rock campus. Pastor Rick invited anyone that served, whether you were a volunteer or on staff, to come there for a worship night with some vision. And as I went to that night, what you have to know is that it was a pretty difficult season for me because I was struggling with the purpose that God had put in my life. I was 
three years into running a business that my wife and I started from the ground up and it was going so well. Like it had replaced my salary and even more. And I loved what I was doing, but at the same time, I was getting really involved here, really involved at New Life Church. And so there was this inner struggle that was happening. My family was doing well. My kids were doing-ish because that's how kids are. And I just remember on that night, remembering that even though I had all these plans and all these things, that God was calling me to something else. But God, and isn't that an amazing statement? But God, he placed a calling on my life. And that night when Pastor Rick led us in a time of prayer, he, he opened the altar and he said, anybody that feels called to be doing more for God to be in ministry, he opened it up. Because we were headed in some really crazy times as a church as we were adding so many campuses. And that night, I said yes. I said yes. From then until now, I've been leading in kid life, helping Pastor James, doing a lot of counseling, taking care of this building, taking care of our old building. If you're in this building, you should be thankful. If you never went in the old building, because it was way worse than this building. It was a lot of work. But I just remember on that night declaring to the Lord, God, not my plan. Not what I want to do, but what you would have me do. This was my version of David's prayer. God, lead me. God, lead me. And in that moment when I said yes, here's what you have to know, is I felt more peace, more reassurance from the Lord of taking that step of faith in any other moment in my life. That he reassures us when we operate inside of his will. And that's why Psalms 31, 39, every time I read it, it jumps off the page at me. Because that was David. That was David. But this is me. Here's what I know. God knows me. God loves me. God leads me. And that's my prayer for all of you this morning is that you would know that too. That God knows you. God loves you. And God so desperately wants to lead you. God, if you all bow your heads, close your eyes. No one looking around. Look, here's the deal. Some of you walked in this morning and like James said, you are fully expecting to be in the presence of God. Some of you were seeking because you didn't know what to expect. I think there's a really good chance that some of you, you are living for Christ, but there's one area of what David taught us that you totally haven't given it over to him. Whether it's him knowing you or him leading you or even accepting the love that he has for you. Or there's a good chance there may be somebody here that doesn't even know or didn't know how much God loves you. And I wanna let you know that he proved that love when he sent his one and only son. See, Jesus came so that you could have this kind of relationship with your heavenly father. The whole reason he came and died on the cross is to fix your broken friendship with a loving, caring, incredible heavenly father. And he did that. He took your place because of your sin, because of my sin, Jesus died. And he was separated from God for three days. And then on the third day, he rose again, proving 
that our relationship could be restored with our Heavenly Father. It is both the easiest decision that you will ever make in your life and the hardest. It's the easiest because it starts with one moment, one moment of releasing control and saying, God, I trust you. I trust you with my life. It's hard because it doesn't stop there for the rest of your life. You've got to make a decision every day. Am I going to trust him? Am I going to put my faith in him? So wherever you are right now in that place, if you're here this morning and whether you need to come back to him because you've been away or you need to trust him for the very first time, then I just want to pray with you. So if you'd like to accept Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, or if you'd like to rededicate your life, I just want to know who I'm praying with. I want to know in this room if there's anyone that needs that prayer. So if that's you, if you would just slip up your hand and look at me. I just want to know who I'm praying with this morning. Okay. Well, if that's you, and you need to say that prayer, it's as easy as ABC. The first thing we need to do is we just need to admit, God, I know I've fallen short. I know I missed it. I know I'm not perfect, but here's my life. And I give it to you, every part of it. I believe in you. I believe in your word. I believe you came and died on the cross so that I could be forgiven and that you rose from the grave. And I choose you to be my Lord and my savior and my very best friend. That's you. You can just say a simple prayer like that this morning and accept the free gift that he gave so that you could know God, so that you could be loved by God, so that you could be led by God. Father, we're so thankful for every person in this room. We're so thankful for our church and our church family. I just ask that you be with them, Lord. I pray that we're led by your spirit into every situation, every conversation, that we know you have plans for us and our, the plans you have for us aren't about us. They're about your kingdom, your kingdom coming. It's about the lost, Lord. We thank you that you let us be on your team to win those that we get to interact with every single day. We thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for ministering to us today. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen.